The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Glad you could join me today. Um, Our conversation is going to be about God passing by. Actually, I'm looking forward to these, uh, this series of, of uh, conversations, if you will, about the ways and workings of God in our lives and uh, what his objective is in teaching us not only about himself, but really teaching us how to walk with him, how to walk with him. I think for me, this has been the greatest discovery of my Christian life, that the God that that folks talk about, even before I became a Christian, um, the, the, the whole notion of, of uh, a divine being, being out there somewhere, and having to come to know that my sins have been forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but the, the succeeding truths and benefits, uh, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, the, the communion that I can have with God, the fellowship, the relationship, uh, and then add to that, which I think is just marvelous, uh, that of answered prayer, the, the uh, results that come from uh, this union, this walking, this intimacy with God. And it's not unique to one or two individuals or the prophets of old or the apostles. It is the birthright of every person. Uh, uh, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the privilege. It's the, the high point. I, I, this makes life so enjoyable in spite of one's circumstances. And so we're going to be looking at um, uh, a series of examples. Uh, today we're, we're going to be talking about Peter and uh, that incident when he walked on water. Uh, and in succeeding podcasts, we will look at uh, King Asa, from which the scripture that we're now going to consider uh, comes from, and King Hezekiah. Uh, but um, the, the scripture in, 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 that I'm referring to is Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, and it says, For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart perfect toward him. I think this is a marvelous, this is perhaps my favorite promise. And everyone has some portions of scripture that's uh, dear to their hearts. This one is. For this reason, God is looking for individuals, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose hearts are willing to turn to him in unmitigated simplicity, trusting him to do what he alone can do. And he gives us the divine assurance predicated on his person 
that he will show himself strong on that person's behalf. Oh, that is a great privilege. As Peter says, great and precious promises. I love this. I truly, with all my heart, love the, the potential, the truth that the Spirit of God is bringing home to my heart, my being. That God is looking. He's looking for this opportunity. He's searching the earth. Because he wants to reveal something about himself that can be revealed no other way. And the ones to whom this privilege is reserved is that sinner saved by grace who is now looking to him, whose expectation is from him and him alone. The eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth. 7.5 billion people. And I am trusting by God's grace that my heart will be such that I'm looking to him alone to do in my life and with my life what he alone can do. And in my lifetime, I would see, as I've often said, the fingerprint of God on my life. And I am praying that for you. I don't know who you are, and I've been praying for you before I started this podcast, that God would give to you that unique ongoing privilege and experience of his divine presence in your life, the awareness within your heart, the evidencing in answers to prayer. Oh, my friend, this, this is what Beside Still Waters is really all about. And so there are moments when God, he takes these moments, moments of our lives, and he uses it to teach us about his ways. And the life lesson, the gem, is embedded oftentimes, not in our life, but in someone else's life that we can examine and extract that gem and just have that aha moment. And as I mentioned, this verse is extracted from King Asa's life. When he took or moved his confidence in Jehovah and placed it on the king of Syria to elicit this king, this Syrian king's help to extricate himself, that is to extricate King Asa from a military siege from one of his enemies. And so God uses King Asa's life lesson to teach you and me about his, that is God's ways. This is the high point of life. This is where the, the gulf between God being out there somewhere or the presence of the Spirit of God in my life right now, that gulf of not knowing, I call it the gulf of not knowing. Like we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the, uh, the uh, veracity of Scripture, the, the, the trustworthiness of it. But the life experience seems bereft of ongoing opportunities and experiences to see it with our very eyes, the working of God in your life and my life. Many of us, we, we lament the fact that I don't see it. I don't often have it. And so God uses King Asa's life to extract 
and highlight and showcase this gem, this life lesson that, that the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. So on the God part, he's searching for that individual. On the my part, is my heart prepared to look to God and God alone? And not only look to him, but with earnest expectation, he will do what he will do. So let me sort of set the context. There, there are five parts to this paradigm. And some may be emphasized more or less, depending on the person, depending on the life. But typically, there are five parts. Uh, what I call the go-ahead. That is, God allows us to have personal objectives, a work, a journey, some human endeavor to be pursued. It's typically done or performed with a spiritual objective in view. Uh, in this phase, we're sort of engaged in what I call typical life circumstances, plans, work, families, spiritual, or, or any variety of events. This is the stuff of life, the stuff that life is made up of, the events that give our days meaning and purpose. So he allows us to live out our lives. And closely associated with that is some promise of the word of God, some, some promise that's associated with the endeavor. Perhaps, uh, for example, if we have children, we might say, train up a child in a way it should go. And when he's old, he's, you know, he shall not depart from it. And so that's, that's predicated on some promise of God, that, that if I train my, my, if my children uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in due time, maybe not you know, right away, maybe not in their teen years or 20s, but sometime by and by, they're going to embrace these truths for themselves and live it out. So there's some promise, some word of God that's associated with the endeavor, whether as parents or perhaps we have a ministry or, or, or we have a profession that we are uh, 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 carrying out as our mission for the kingdom of God. And we're intending to accomplish this, this matter, this objective for the benefit of the kingdom, for the glory of God. We embrace the faith. We continue towards our spiritual objectives, such as serving church, giving of our time in some noble in, uh, endeavor, or simply enjoying the Christian life and what it means to have hope of eternal life. There's a measure of contentment and believe it or not, complacency that begins to set in right about here. And then the third part, <laughs> which inevitably comes, what I call contrary circumstances. God orchestrates, and I emphasize that, God orchestrates circumstances that introduce an element of fear or uncertainty or extremity. And the purpose of this is to undo the paradigm that I, we have created in order for him to insert his will. Now, let me just clarify that. I have a paradigm that I'm living my life according to. But God allows 
or orchestrates circumstances that introduce extremity or uncertainty or, or an element of fear to break this paradigm down and create a new paradigm, a God-ordained paradigm to replace it. And so it's at this point of our, that, that our circumstance changes and typically with a radical element introduced to it. Fear is added into the mix because we are often uncertain how to mitigate the circumstance. We can't change it. We're doing everything in our power to change it, to remove the extremity, to remove the uncertainty, to remove the element of fear. And so uncertainty, the, the not knowing how this is going to turn out, pushes us towards extremity to do something that can fix the situation, often like a rubber ball bouncing off of a concrete wall, just bouncing all over the place. <laughs> like when you throw it with force and it ricochets off the wall and it hits a desk or a table and it's bouncing around and it hits the, the leg of a chair and it goes in a different direction and our lives become like that rubber ball going to and fro, reacting, if you will, to the circumstance. We are, in a sense, involved in a mad scramble to find a solution and often finding none. Or at times we are left to remain helpless in the circumstance, similar to Job, just helpless. The fourth component is what I call the awareness of God's presence. Now, when this transition takes place and what causes it, it's not always clear to me. And I'm, I'm going to share some personal experiences throughout these podcasts. But this awareness of God's presence sort of comes in in the dead of the night, so to speak, in the quiet. When we have we've stopped trying. And so in the distraction of my paradigm, the one that I created... And now the introduction of God's paradigm. I'm beginning to see or you're beginning to see or one begins to see what, what I call the fingerprint of God. You know, there, we leave fingerprints wherever we go. Everything we touch has our fingerprint. You know, a little bit of oil from our body mixed with salts and whatever else. But it leaves a signature presence. And only certain substances or light or surfaces will allow that print to be seen. And so God's fingerprint is like that. How do I know that this, this event, these circumstances, are orchestrated by God? And so the fingerprint of God, a heightened awareness of God's presence in my life. And at this point, I'm assuming we have found it through a study, the word of God, a meditation on the scriptures, some promise, some circumstance that we've been 
pondering that seems so similar to our situation, to our crisis. We therefore step into this arena, embracing this great promise and shifting our trust from ourselves over to God's providential working. Again, it's at this point, and for everyone, it's going to be different. But when that moment sets in that we see, as it were, the fingerprint of God, there's a shift and we step into a new arena, embracing some great promise and shifting our trust from ourselves, from our paradigm, over to God's providential working. The net result is we experience so much more of God's presence than we would have if the trial had not been introduced. My friends, we are at greater risk while experiencing a greater measure of peace simultaneously while waiting on God. And I want to, I want to clarify that statement. When we are at the place when we realize, recognize, become aware of the presence and working of God in this crisis. At that point, from the human perspective, we are at our greatest risk. But simultaneously, we are in a place where in spite of the greatness of the risk, we experience a greater measure of peace, a deep satisfying expectation that God alone will respond. The heart, as Second Chronicles says, is now beginning to turn to God and God alone. The heart is perfectly positioned to trust in the Lord and the Lord alone. And that brings us to the last part, the stepping out. <laughs> I love to call it, you know, the stepping out. And this is the moment, having now become aware by the working presence of the Spirit of God through some promise of God and, and an awareness to our intellect and, and to our spirit that this situation is of God. And we are, and I want to say this, it's not just, well, it's obvious, it's of God. No, my friends, there's a clear, strong, uh, uh, abiding conviction that the circumstance, the dire circumstance that I'm currently facing is of God. And because of that conviction within our spirit, we embrace the circumstance as it is, not wanting it to be mitigated in any way because now we know that the living God is in control of our circumstances and now God begins to loom larger than the crisis. The, the scope of the crisis diminishes rapidly and immensely because now the person and ability, the presence of God fills the human vision, the human heart, and the word of God now becomes the very currency that we can trade upon, confidently knowing. You know, just as Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, substantiating of something that is only a hope. 
the evidencing of something that is currently unseen. But to faith, it's real, it's evidenced, it's seen, it's grasped. And so at this moment, we step out. And this is the moment when, having seen or become aware of God's presence, we take a step of faith to walk or believe or receive the very thing that faith sees. This stepping out is a spontaneous response to the new vision that faith has, that the, 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 the changed paradigm, we now see God's paradigm. The Spirit of God has removed, as it were, scales from our eyes, and we see it as it really is. It's like when Job finally came face to face with God and spoke with God and was educated, somewhat lovingly rebuked, I would say. He didn't even see his circumstance anymore. He sat in dust and ashes and realized, who am I to challenge the living God? And so the, this stepping out, as I said, is a, a spontaneous response to the sight that faith now has. It's, it's analogous to the woman with the issue of blood uh, in the Gospels who reasoned in her heart. She said, if I only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. That's the stepping out right there. She didn't have a scripture that says, oh, touch the hem of the garment of the priest. None of it. But all that she had heard about the Lord Jesus and now her opportunity was there. And, and according to the Old Testament, everyone she touched going through that crowd, she was making them unclean. But guess what? In her heart, the whole paradigm shifted. The fact that she spent all her money and was not uh, improved, she was still hemorrhaging, she was going to die, it was going to be a bloody mess. But when God allowed this 12-year malady in her life, and she came to her extremity, and she heard about the Lord Jesus, and she was convinced in her heart that this is exactly what I needed, what he has done. I've heard the testimonies. I've heard the stories. I've heard the witnesses. I can be healed. And then she makes her way through that crowd. And as she's approaching closer and says in her heart, if I only touched the hem of his garment, she was convinced power resided in him to such a degree that it'll pass right through the garments, right to her dying body. If I only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. And she stepped out in faith and claimed something that the word of God never said she could. <laughs> but her faith saw the God with whom nothing is impossible. So that's it right there. Going ahead with our lives. Secondly, embracing some promise of God that that overshadows, that colors our endeavor. We're meaning to do something good, something worthwhile. And then thirdly, God introduces contrary circumstances. Circumstances that, that introduce an element of fear, uncertainty, extremity, just pushes us to the limit. But in that very thing, God uses it to change the paradigm, change what, the little idol that we've set up and introduce a new paradigm where he is central. He is in view. He is there. 
And like he, like, like uh, King Asa was told, the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong. He wants to show himself strong. He did it for this woman who was bleeding. He showed himself strong. And power went through him, from him, from his being, through his clothing, through his mortal flesh, to her fingertips, through her body, her sinews, her, her cells, to the very core of that place where she was bleeding and dried it up and healed it. Show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart, like this woman, if I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. Her heart was perfect towards him. Contrary circumstances, which brings us to an awareness of God, his ability, his presence, his power, his holiness, all that he is to me in the circumstance. And when we have, when faith has grasped this, we step out. That moment, having seen, become aware of who he is, we take that step of faith. We believe, we receive something, that faith, and faith alone sees clearly. And again, the stepping out is a spontaneous response to the sight that faith has. Just like this woman. If I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And so now we come to Peter. <laughs> In Matthew 14, 21 to 23, uh, Jesus, right at that point, had concluded a, a notable miracle in multiplying five loaves and two fishes. And the disciples missed the life lesson. They missed it. And the succeeding spiritual growth that would have come from this life lesson missed. And the life lesson, the spiritual gem that they could have gotten but did not is that within the Lord Jesus Christ is the ability and wherewithal to alter matter or substance and cause it to be replicated at will. Starting with its current form, loaves and fish, cooked food, and causing that cooked food to be replicated in its same form repeatedly until the objective that God intends is met. Within the Lord Jesus Christ is the ability and wherewithal to alter matter or substances and cause these substances to be replicated at will, starting with whatever form it is and could extend that, can replicate it almost without end if he wills. This power, ability, is resonant in him. Why? Because he's God. Only God can do this. Only God can create a tree that produces fruit, that produces seed. And from the seeds which fall in the ground, it will produce a tree which produces fruit, which produces seed. And from the seeds that secondly fall in the ground, it produces trees that produces fruit, that produces seeds. And this process goes on and on and has continued since Eden. And all of it was destroyed in the flood. And here we go again, starts over with Noah and his family, and it continues to this day. God alone has that ability. The disciples needed to know that the person in front of them was not only Messiah and the promised son of David, it was very God himself, the son. 
A similar miracle was performed during Elijah's ministry when the widow of Zarephath was preparing her last meal for her son, and they were preparing to die because, of course, there was you know, a, a famine in the land, there was no rain, and we could find this in 1 Kings 17, 8-16. Well, Elijah commanded her to meet his needs first, then prepare for herself and her son, and he also gave the divine assurance that at, you know, once this meal has been prepared for him first, that the meal and the oil would never cease for the entire duration of the famine. And then a second miracle similar to this was performed by Elisha the prophet in 2 Kings, uh, I think it's 4 verses 1 to 7 thereabouts. And in this circumstance, creditors were coming to take this woman and her sons as collateral for unpaid debt because apparently her husband had died. And in her extremity, in crying out to the man of God, he commanded her to borrow pots from her friends, go behind closed doors, Pour out the oil into these pots. You know, borrow a lot of pots, as many as possible. Close the door behind her, pour out the oil, and don't stop until all the pots have been filled, and then sell the oil, pay the debts, and live off the rest. So in both of these miracles, Jehovah multiplied a substance or allowed it to be reproduced or replicated extensively until his full objective was met the cessation of the famine or the fact that she filled all the pots. And the Lord Jesus proved that he himself is the very Jehovah of the Old Testament in performing the same miracle using loaves and fishes. So here, here, here's the, the, the structure again, the go-ahead. So Peter is sent with the disciples to the other side as compelled by the Lord Jesus. Okay, and the term that is used when he compelled them, I think it's covered in, uh, in uh, John, Mark, and in Matthew. You won't find, I don't think this incident is found in Luke's gospel. But the Lord Jesus urged them, compelled them to go to the other side. Okay, as though he was trying to get rid of them. And we're going to learn two life lessons that are important here. But I want to tell you something about God. When he has to teach us a lesson, oh, he compels circumstances. He will allow us to go headlong into a circumstance to teach us, to draw us to himself. So he compelled them. Go to the other side. He drove them. He, like, uh, similar to someone entreating you, please. Would you please give me a, a ride to the grocery store? My, you know, my car broke down and I need food for the night. I don't know. But an entreaty, please go to the other side. Necessity was placed on them and Jesus compelled them to go and he then dismissed the crowd. Why? Why? I think two events are so important right here in the life of the Lord Jesus as man and as son of God. One of them I addressed in a prior podcast, Life, Loss, and the Presence of God. And the first is this. It was his priority to have uninterrupted time with God. This was priority number one. Uninterrupted time with God. And I, I belabored this point in the podcast, Life, Loss, and the Presence of God. The second pertains to us. And that is anchoring the faith of these men, these disciples, anchoring their faith in his ability to perform the impossible. And that this ability resides within himself alone. He, 
the Lord Jesus, is the Lord of life. The Lord of life. So they were going to the other side. That's the go ahead. Go to the other side. And they did this at the word of the Lord Jesus. That's, that's the word of God. You know, that second part, the word of God. Now comes the contrary circumstances. Now keep in mind that these were seasoned fishermen. They knew the, wave, the ways of the waves and the winds. Whenever they were in their boats, this was their life. They knew about winds and waves. And a boat on the water was just a vehicle that they could command with oars or uh, sails. But God used the very elements that they were so familiar with to be the very stuff that he will unsettle their world just enough to teach them this lesson. What is the lesson? The lesson is simply this. For you, for them, for me. We do not have within ourselves the stuff, the wherewithal, the power to control circumstances. We do not, I repeat, we do not have within ourselves the wherewithal, the power to control circumstances. But there was a greater lesson here, a lesson about the Lord Jesus himself, the very one who fed the multitudes. And he was about to teach them this lesson. And so in, in order for them to receive it or to be ready to receive it, he is going to have to shift their paradigm by creating circumstances and break their confidence in themselves. My friend, contrary circumstances in your life and mine are designed to make us less trusting of ourselves, of our resources, of our abilities, of our intellect, of our skills, you name it. We will trust ourselves in a heartbeat. And God's allowance of trial James says, count it all joy. <laughs> you ask yourself, how can a person count it joy to be in a trial? Well, if you realize that you're not trusting God and he's trying to get you to trust him, and this is a noble thing, a great outcome, you're going to embrace the trial. Now, I'll be the first to tell you trial is not easy. Why? Because the whole purpose of trial is to teach us to endure, to remain under the trial until God's purposes are completed. But I digress. The life lesson for them was they, we do not have it within ourselves, the wherewithal, the ability, the power to control circumstances. And so he needed to break their confidence in themselves. This is the paradigm that we all operate with. This is the error that King Asa made. 
He had learned the lesson and then he forgot the lesson and then he trusted the Syrian king instead of Jehovah and he was rebuked for it. Then we come to the fourth part, the awareness of God's presence. What resides, may I ask, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? He could see them in in Mark's gospel, chapter 6. He saw them laboring in rowing. They were fighting the waves. And this is the plight of the disciple. And it's my plight and yours as well. We find ourselves laboring, struggling to change circumstances while failing to recognize that the very circumstances are clouding our ability to see the hand of God, the fingerprint of God in our lives. We don't see it because we are so filled. We have this this thing filling our vision, this circumstance that we're trying to extricate ourselves from. We see the circumstance, but we don't see God behind the circumstance. We're often in the place, if you will, of an observer, while our ability to actually see is withheld. I think the term is hologram. Back in the 80s, there used to be holograms were popular. You know, you'd have a design maybe in, in, in a picture frame. But if you stare at the design long enough, you begin to see the image embedded in the design, but it just looks like an arbitrary design. And it was really interesting how that, you know, that, that, that shift from a design to an object that you can actually see in the design. But it takes everyone, everyone can't get to that place at the same time. It takes some a little longer, a day or two, sometimes in a matter of minutes or seconds. It's like, ah, I see it. Sometimes we are like that in our life's circumstances. We don't see God. We, we know intellectually, well, God is in control, but we don't really see it. And you say to yourself, well, Christian, what happens if I see it? Like, how do I know I see it? Well, the disciples, and I'll answer that question, but the disciples could not recognize that the, that, well, in fact, I'm thinking of the two on the road to Emmaus, or Emmaus, okay? They were so consumed by the events that had happened within the past two or three days, uh, three days actually, because the Lord was risen at that point, that when Jesus drew near to them, they didn't even recognize who he was. But their eyes were Holden, they could not recognize that the risen Lord was right there with them, communicating with them. And I have to tell you personally, I've often prayed and asked God to give me eyes to see his fingerprint on the circumstances of my life. And he has answered that. So these men rode the distance between Tiberias and, uh, and directly across east was a place called Ein Gier, or Ger. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it was about approximately 14 miles. But they were just about a fifth of the way, and they were laboring. <laughs> they had probably rode, give or take, a little over three miles, and they were laboring. And the winds and the waves were contrary. 
they were a fifth of the way going back to Tiberias, and they would never have made it. You'll, you'll find it in John's Gospel, chapter 6. But the Lord Jesus, in John's Gospel, was trying to teach the people whom he fed that he was what? The bread of life, the life giver, the Lord of life. He says, I'm the true bread given by the Father, come out of heaven. And the Lord Jesus was trying to teach, us, teach these people a significant truth, which he was attempting to, but they never got. They wanted to make him a king. But he is the bread of life. And anyone believing on him, he gives the promise. They'll never hunger. They'll never thirst. To know the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life and walking with God. Walking with God. It's a life-changing experience. Anyway, so his followers, they were left to themselves that they couldn't learn by experience. Well, they had to learn, I should say, by experience that they lacked the strength to go to the other side. They lacked the power to overcome the elements. They didn't have that capacity. And the very circumstances that they were most accustomed to, typically, winds and waves as fishermen, they now could not marshal the elements. And so for many of us, we are accustomed to controlling the events and circumstances in our lives until illness, loss of job, rebellious children, wayward spouses, political upheaval, or some such circumstance makes us experience vulnerability and exposes us to risk. And now they found themselves at risk facing certain peril. And this is the very place that Jesus wanted them to be in. He now comes to them on the waters, proving that he and he alone indeed has the ability and capacity to command the elements to the extent that he could do with them, that is the elements, whatever he wills, whatever he pleases, even to walk on water. And my friend, it is this blessed place of extremity where we can experience a fresh awareness and fellowship the living God himself. My friends, I'm appealing to you not to resist the crisis, but rather embrace it. Embrace it, expressing to God your confidence that he has allowed you, allowed me to draw close to himself in this circumstance. And believing this to be the case, step out and thank him for the trial. Ask him to open your eyes to see his working, to see his purpose. And in due time, he will do just that as you continue to wait for him and on him patiently. He will grace you to endure the trial until his objectives in your life is complete. And you, my friend, will be the happier for it. So the last part, the stepping out, if you will, in faith. <laughs> this is the part that excites my heart. It excites me. I have to be honest. <laughs> I've been in this quagmire of circumstances many times in my 40 years of being a Christian. 
And for me, the most notable was uh, being stranded on the island of uh, St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands, during Hurricane Maria back in 2017. And I wrote a brief memoir of my experience of God's presence and his ability to do the impossible under impossible circumstances. Uh, In my book, A Violent Gust of Wind and the Presence of God, catalogs 15 or 16 uh, different answers to prayer over a 21-day time frame, three of which were outright miracles, inexplicable. And so crisis becomes God's opportunity to reveal his grace and to show you and me a small measure of his glory. And it's always life-changing. And so this was the case in Matthew's gospel as he records it in chapter 14, that, that this was when Peter when they all saw the Lord Jesus walking on the water and they thought it was an apparition, you know, they were fearful. But this was Peter's opportunity to step out. The experience of his heart and mind was now being influenced by the vision that his faith embraced about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He now saw Jesus differently. He saw him through the eyes of faith that if he can walk on water, if Jesus can walk on water and command the winds and the waves to the point where they have no power or influence or effect on him, then he's got to be able to do it for me. Just like the woman, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. And Peter saw more to the person of Jesus than just a miracle worker. This new view, this new paradigm, this new vision was only possible by the Lord Jesus allowing them to be in the storm, to be at their extremity, to be at the mercy of the elements. This was the only way this man would have the opportunity to now see the Lord Jesus Christ in a totally new light. It was now clearly evident to Peter as a seasoned fisherman that there is more residing within the person of the Lord Jesus Christ than he ever knew. And if this Jesus can walk on water, then the very elements are subject to his command. And what happens? Faith in you, me, and in Peter takes the leap from the obvious, okay, takes the leap from the obvious to what is hidden. Faith now sees beyond the obvious. Faith goes from the seen into the realm of the unseen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, things that are substantive, tangible. You see it. But now faith goes beyond the substantive into the realm of things you can only hope for. When I was in, in, on St. Croix during Hurricane Maria and the things I asked of God, I could only hope that it would happen. But I saw it. I knew and was convinced in my heart he's going to answer. I even said so to my sister. At some point, we were looking for a walker, you know, one of those, those medical walkers for my mom. Because, you know, she was frail, 83 years old. 
And we had checked the pharmacies. It, you know, it's a fairly small island, 84 square miles. There probably about three or four pharmacies on the island that I know of. And we checked them. There were no walkers. One lady said to me, you won't find a walker on St. Croix for the next three or four months. We went home and I said, Katie, let's put it on our prayer list. I said, we are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to provide a walker. The next day, the next day, my friends, she was going to get gas for her uh, 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 automobile, ran into a brother from the church, was talking to him about the events of the storm. Now, remember, you know, uh, 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 and so... As I said, Peter saw more to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ than just a miracle worker. His faith took the leap from the obvious to the unseen. And this transition is vital at its core. The very elements that I'm sharing with you, my friends, are the same learnings that I've had to embrace. The same takeaways that I embraced during the time of that hurricane and over the 40 years of being a Christian. How do we know that Peter finally got it? Tell me. Well, Peter said, if it is you, bid me come. Peter essentially said, call me. The term I like to use is command me, because that's what God does. He commands from the majesty on high, from the throne upon which he sits. His word goes forth and it accomplishes what he wills it to do. Peter says, essentially, call me. And Peter was commanded to come by the Son of God himself to walk on the waters. And the scripture says, having descended from the ship, he now becomes the second man that ever walked on water. The Lord Jesus caused Peter to perform the impossible, not because Peter had any power within himself, but because Jesus demonstrated clearly he was being strong on Peter's behalf. For this brief time that Peter walked on water, his heart was perfect towards the Lord. This is Second Chronicles 16, 9 at its core. And so, my friends, we're going to take time to examine these principles again uh, in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 16 and also in the life of King Hezekiah. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's important for us to learn these lessons because failure to learn them subjects us to having the circumstances repeated until God reaches the core of our hearts to the place where we are either believing or unbelieving. Oh, my friend, <laughs> we quiet ourselves yet again beside still waters. Let us ask of God to supply the needed grace to look to him from our hearts that are set to receive from him what he alone can do, that our hearts might be made perfect towards him. May God accomplish this in our lives for his glory. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. 
and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.